0: Thank you, thank you, thank you. That was beautiful, and I'm grateful for all the amazing gifts. I'm so looking forward to the two concerts tonight. I might go to both if uh, we can work that out, but I love the music of this church. I'm so grateful for it. Who in here was born in the 60s or 70s? Yes, look at all those wise people. Uh, all right, now, who, is here, who here was born in the 60s or 70s and is from the northeast part of the United States? What? Is that no one? Northeast, where? where? Where'd you grow up? Jersey. What exit? 138. Beautiful. So they do it in Jersey. Um... How old? You were born in the 60s or 70s? Oh, I knew you were not... You don't look very much like you're in the 60s or 70s. You just made it in. Just made it in. See, you actually might not remember what I'm talking about. Uh, Do you remember Creature Double Feature? No, I didn't think so. Yeah, you're too young. You're too close. Yeah, I meant like 60s and 70s right in there. Well... um, the, there's no show I watched more. If if you're born in the '60s or '70s and you're from the Northeast, you you watch Creature Double Feature on Saturday. It's just what you did, and um, it was it was among the finest entertainment you will ever find. Uh, it was <laughs> a couple stations, local stations out of Boston and Philadelphia, had Creature Double Feature, and um, I I didn't want you to not have any idea what it was like, you, you'll get to know me better by seeing these, this 30-second clip of the, the beginning of Creature Double Feature. You ready? Here it is. Hello. the Creature Double he's got an eye on his shoulder do you see that now that my friends is fine entertainment if if you've ever wondered why I lack so much class it's because of a steady diet of creature double feature and other equivalent quality entertainment in my life Um, Crazy as this sounds, as I've prepared to preach on John chapter 1, verses 10 through 13, the phrase creature double feature has been in my head. (laughs) It really has. And here's why. Actually, I think it's mostly in my head because of a hip-hop group, Cross Movement, who actually had a song called Creature Double Feature, which is about the battle between our natures, They're from Philly. Makes sense. But um, here's a line from Creature Double Feature, the hip-hop song. You ready? Um, Temptation, no or later, less or greater, keeps war between my nature, totter teeters, stronger, weaker, old master versus teacher. Creature Double Features. Those are Philly guys right there. They know what I'm talking about. But uh, why have I been thinking about Creature Double Feature? Well, as we'll see in this passage we read the bible really says there are two stories going on two features right of humanity itself there's two stories side by side being played out and at the heart of those two stories are really two kinds of humanity i know that's crazy to say because in a very fundamental way all human beings are the same we're made in god's image Uh, We're all equally deserving of profound dignity and value and respect. But the Bible says God has actually created a new qualitatively distinct version of humanity in Christ. There's a creature double feature. It's actually unfortunate the term creature tends to have Godzilla-like ideas that come to our mind when we hear creature. But creature just means a created thing. And that's what we are. We're creatures. And if there's anything I want us to grasp more deeply this morning, it's our creatureliness. It's actually a word wouldn't be bad to start using. Our creatureliness. We are creatures. We're created things, and our creatureliness is something we need to understand far better than we do. I wonder if a failure to appreciate our creatureliness It's in many ways at the heart of all our problems. And this passage will help us understand this this morning as we look at the creature double feature. The title of this sermon is Jesus Confronts and Divides Us. And as we go to God's word in John chapter 1, let me pray. Lord, thank you for your love. Thank you for your word that you've given us because you love us. I pray now that we would attend to it with mind and heart, affections, and that our daily living and relationship with you would be blessed because we spent time in your word this morning. And so we commit the rest of our time to you in Jesus' name, amen. John chapter 1, I want to read the first few verses and then our primary focus this morning down in verses 9 through 13. Let me read the first few verses again in this prologue of John. In the beginning, in the time of the origin of all things, was the Word. And the Word, again this Word, Use that it speaks so clearly to both a Jewish and a Hellenistic mind that says, oh, for a Jew, you immediately think, right, Genesis 1.1. In the beginning was the Word. In the beginning, you're, you're thinking, of the first verse of the Bible. In the beginning, be, at the origin of, before all things existed, there was this logos, this Word, this uh, thing that gives... Rationality to everything Gives coherence to everything For a Jewish mind The very creative power of God He speaks creation into existence We're right out of the gate Thinking about creation In the beginning was the word And the word was with God And the word was God He was in the beginning with God All things were made through him What's the cause? What's the purpose? That all might believe through him. Notice that word believe. It's very important in John. Massively important word in all of John's writing, gospel and his letters. That we might believe, that's the point here, through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. Yet, the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. We've got a. Creature double feature here we've got humanity now being seen in two very distinct ways those who are born of God and those who are not those who are still in darkness and those who've come to see the light in Christ there are two versions two stories being played out of humanity in the world right now And it's all getting back to Jesus. And I hope you've seen the powerful portrayal of Christ here. This prologue, this preparation for the rest of the book is setting the stage by giving us a deep Christology. And there are three main things I hope you picked up. John wants us to get one. Jesus is the creator. He's none less than the creator himself. He made everything. The Bible has this theme throughout the whole New Testament. It wants to make sure we know that Jesus isn't just a great moral teacher. He's not just a religious leader. He is the creator himself. The world was made through him. At the origin of it all, there was never actually a time where he wasn't. And he made it all. He with the Father and the Spirit who was hovering over the waters made all of creation. Everything traces its beginning to him who was in the beginning with God and was God. And so he is God and he is God as the creator God. Oh, if we could really see God as our creator and ourselves as his creatures, everything would be aligned rightly. And we can trace all the misalignment of everything back to missing that God is our creator and that creator is seen in Christ. And so he creates, but we also see he reveals, right? He's the one who's the light. He is pointed to by John, the witness of the light, the one who is not overcome by darkness, the one who brings understanding, who brings comprehension, mostly of who God is. And then of everything else once we know that. So he's the revealer. We depend on him to reveal God to us. And we depend on him to save us through that revelation of himself. You couldn't have a more majestic, awesome picture then you have here of Christ as the one who created everything, the one who reveals God to us in the once and for all way that the Bible talks about many times. And this uniting of creating, revealing message of Jesus, role of Jesus is vital. We see it all over the New Testament that he's the one who created and sustains and reveals God for us and in that saves us. It's only in him that we get taken out of darkness so we can walk in his marvelous light and praise him because of it. So Jesus, do you see how different he is even than how he's talked about in in many pulpits? And so often in our culture, he's reduced to a wise sage. And people can say they follow Jesus, but what they mean is they follow his wisdom's sayings. And and whether he's creator or God himself or reveals God to us isn't really the point. He just helps me live better. And so Jesus is just emaciated from what he really is. He's, He's obliterated really. You can't do that to Jesus. Do you know every other religion of the world, if the key figure, is removed, but their teaching basically stays, the religion hasn't really lost anything. But if you remove Jesus and just leave his teaching, you've lost Christianity. It doesn't exist anymore. And so we've got to see this powerful picture and be led to faith and worship. And awe of this Christ who is the maker of everyone. It's an amazing thing we're discussing this morning. Uh, Do you realize how important God as creator is? When we think of God as the creator of everything and Jesus is, is with Father and Spirit in that creation, he's the creator of everything that exists, everything. Uh, do you ever think about how important it is the first verse of the Bible? The first thing we learn about God is that he's the creator. Before we find out he's loving, before we find out he's gracious or patient or kind or anything else, we find out he's the God of the creation. In the beginning, God created. He starts, John does his gospel the same way Moses starts the Bible. He actually starts his gospel the same way Mark starts his. The beginning of the record of Jesus Christ. He, he He just starts with this beginning language, this creation language. It's incredibly important. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. If we could remember that, when we're filled with anxiety at night trying to go to sleep, if we could remember that God's the creator of everything, the sustainer of everything, We wouldn't be wracked by so many of the things that ail us daily. God's the creator of everything that is. Do you realize the purpose we get from that? Do you realize the utter dependence we have from that? Do you realize the accountability that comes with that? We have meaning, our lives have profound meaning, profound significance. Our lives really matter. I'm not sure where you get any kind of transcendent meaning from life, purpose in life, apart from the fact that an infinitely wise and perfect creator fashioned you and this whole world just as he wished. And we have dependence. The term self-made man is blasphemy you heard that term, right? He's a self-made man, which means he didn't have much, but, you know, he's done well in business. Self-made man, please. No such thing. <laughs> no such thing. It, it's, it's, it's absurd to even talk that way. Affirming all of this human hubris, this arrogance that fills our hearts. And and we want the credit and we want all the things we think we deserve in this entitlement culture. No, you have nothing. You have nothing that isn't gift. Nothing. Not a molecule. Not a dollar. Not a dime. Nothing. Your home. It didn't originate in you. Nothing did. God is the originator of everything. Do you realize how massively important this idea is? And worship flows from this. Look, arise, bless the Lord your God forever and ever. Oh, may your glorious name be blessed and exalted above all blessing and praise. You alone are the Lord. Now, why? Look at the source of all this praise. You have made the heavens, the heaven of heavens, with all their hosts, the earth and all that is on it, the sea and all that is in them. You give life to all of them, and the heavenly hosts bow down before you. See, praise is the response to God as creator, and we as creatures, you praise him, you worship him. That's what you do. Of course you obey him. Of course you do what he says. Of course you're in awe of him. Of course you are. Many of us have sung this. So come let us worship and bow down. But did you notice that it's grounded in the doctrine of creation? Let us kneel before the Lord. Let us show humility before him. Why? Because he's our maker. He made us. See how humility flows from God as creator? Worship flows from God as creator? Look at this view of ourselves and of God. For you form my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. It breaks my heart how many of us walk around with a loathsome sense of ourselves. But the solution to that is not to pump us up with all kinds of human-centered self-esteem talk disconnected from our Creator, all that leads to is a sneaking suspicion that none of it's really true, no matter how many times your mom tells you it is. All that leads to, on the other end of it, is arrogance thinking you are a, you're just wonderful and special. It leads to a sense of no alteration needed in you at all, no salvation needed for you at all, no, no change in you at all is necessary because after all, you're a firework and you're everything you should be. You're wonderful, you're beautiful, you're awesome, just like you are. Nothing needs to be changed and you are left with a sense of humanity as it is, as perfect when we all know better than that, don't we? If we watch the news for 30 seconds or look at our hearts honestly for 10, we know we're not just fine the way we are. But if we, See God as the creator, an awesome, infinite, beautiful, perfect, wise God fashioned you in just the way he wanted. Now that's the kind of self-esteem we need. Not disconnected from God. When it's disconnected from God, it leads to despair or arrogance. When it's connected to God, it leads to praise and worship and an amazing confidence and humility at the same time because he made us and so we praise him look at Acts the God who made the world and all things in it since he's Lord of heaven and earth does not dwell in temples made with hands nor does he serve by human hands as though he needed anything since he himself gives to all people life and breath and all things he alone is independent he alone is self-sufficient embrace your frailty embrace your finitude your limitations you're created you're a created thing and that's good And look what we find here, the same thing John is telling us. For by him, Christ, all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. Listen, all things have been created through him, and don't miss this, and for him. He's the creator. And here's the news of our passage. As it goes down and later tells us in verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory. He actually invaded his creation. The creator invaded his creation. Because we desperately needed him to. He's never been far from it. He's always been perfectly, personally, infinitely present. But because we desperately needed revelation and salvation, he took on a human nature right down to a flesh and bone Jewish genealogy body and became a human being and walked our streets and felt our pain and took our sins. This is what we find in this awesome passage that that the one who created it all entered into it. Verse nine, the true light which gives life to everyone was coming into the world. He, verse 10, was in the world. He invaded his creation. That's amazing news. Can you imagine? All of heaven is marveling at this. And the angels are declaring, declaring the glory of God that is being displayed on the earth. And how do we respond? What is the human reaction to this massive homecoming? Ignoring him rejecting him. That's what it says. I I think this is the saddest verse in the Bible. We can debate that. Let me put it this way. This verse makes me sadder than anyone in the Bible. He was in the world. The world was made through him. The world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. He came home to his creation. He invaded his own creation on a search and rescue mission. And we didn't recognize him. We had our own agenda, our own way of knowing God and finding salvation. We missed him. We didn't see him. And, and he highlights the Jewish people here. And if you get any anti-Semitism from verses like this, you're missing the whole point of the Jewish people in the Bible. Now, the reason they are highlighted here is not because they're worse than the rest of humanity. It's because they're so typical of all of humanity. And when you read the Bible and, and how Israel so often sins and rebels and misses it, and you don't feel like you're reading your own journal... You're just not understanding the purpose of this people of God here. And so so he came to his own and his own did not receive him. The creator came, he invaded the earth and we didn't receive him. And world here, this word cosmos, which can have just a very general description of the world as we typically think of it. But world here includes the badness of the world. He came to that world that hated him. That he knew, had, and would continue to reject him. That's how loving he is. He came to that which was his own. The world is this normal, natural, fallen way of thinking that we so frequently affirm and celebrate. What comes naturally is what's right, right? What's the norm? What's the average? That's what's right, right? Isn't isn't that what we all embrace and affirm, what the majority of people are doing and thinking and what humanity generally, naturally feels and is inclined toward? Isn't isn't that what's right? No, he's saying there's a way of the world that is actually repugnant to God because it's opposed to God and it's incredibly self-destructive to us. We're killing ourselves. Because each of us has gone his own way. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. We've rejected God and his ways, and we've gone our own way. And this was a pattern throughout the old covenant time. Listen to Isaiah's denunciation of it in 65. I was ready to be sought, Yahweh says, by those who did not ask for me. I was ready to be found by those who did not seek me. I said, here I am. Here I am. To a nation that was not called by my name, I spread out my hands all the day to rebellious people who walk in a way that is not good, following their own devices, the people who provoke me to my face continually. Do you hear how personal that is? How relational that is? This isn't just ethics and morals. It's talking about a creator who created us for relationship with himself and we say, no thanks. Never mind. Never mind. I'm good. And the creation gives the finger to the creator. I don't know how else to say it, to just get it through. Actually, biblically, that's not too harsh at all. That's how we respond to our creator, and that's how we respond to the creator coming to us. We reject our creator when he comes. And it's a pattern throughout the Old Testament and it's a pattern in humanity still today. Just go one page over to John chapter three. Most of you know John 3.16. You need to know John 3.19 or actually John 3.16 doesn't make sense. You're not sure why he needed to send his son. Here's why, John 3.19. And this is the judgment The light has come into the world. And what happened? And people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. We love darkness. It's not just, well, made a mistake. No, we love darkness. That's our boot-up mode. That's our default mode. It doesn't take work to be evil. Doesn't it take work or training to be self-centered. It just happens. Parents, you know what I'm talking about? Against all your best effort, you watched your depravity of your children just manifest itself increasingly throughout their lives. Right? It's just the human condition. And can we please stop acting acting like we're all okay? And we're not all a terrible mess in spite of how well we clean up on Sunday mornings. Can can we just stop acting like every one of us doesn't desperately need a savior? Everyone. I think until we get there, we'll never really get the gospel. We'll never really preach the gospel to others the way we need to. We'll never really live it out in our faith. We need a Savior. The world needs a Savior. You know, the way John's talking about the world here, there are no believers in this world. The world has no believers in it. The world has no children of God in it. They've been taken out of it. Now, they're still in it. In a very real and obvious sense, but, but they're not in it anymore in another very fundamental sense. That's why they talk about creature double feature. There are two stories going on here. The gospel tract, when I tell people about Jesus, I use most, is called Two Ways to Live. You could retitle that, Two Ways to Be. And, and this is an incredibly hard message when we desperately need people to love each other in the world and and recognize our common humanity and, and, and not fight and compete and war against each other. And so we think the answer is just vague terminology about everybody being God's children and everybody being the same. And although there is truth to that, I mean, Paul does say to the Athenians that we're all God's offspring. But the fact is, because of this rebellion against God, because of this loving of darkness rather than light, loving of evil rather than goodness, we've forfeited our sonship. We've forfeited our uh, adoption. We're not all children of God anymore. We're actually only children of God through Christ, by faith. You know, last, last week, president of a huge Christian university um, said that uh, all good people should have guns. Um, and he clarified it later, but the way he put it was, is so we can end those Muslims. Um, he said, I just meant specifically one San Bernardino, but my goodness, Perez, you're at the massive convocation. And, and then he, yeah, he, he, he said very stupid things, I think. I, he must have been basing it on passages like when Jesus said, blessed are those who open carry, for they will be protected. Um, now, I've weighed into something. Please don't get caught up in that whole discussion. I, I suppose I'm for the Second Amendment. <gasps> uh, suppose? Yeah. So... Um, but please, we could talk about it in Grace Group. Don't, don't. Talk to me. But my point is, I'm bothered by his statements. I think it's stupid. I don't think a Christian school wants it. He said, we'll show them if they come here, if everybody's armed. Well, is that really what you want people to know about your Christian school, that you'll show anybody who tries to mess with you? And I'm not, there's a political argument we can have, but goodness. But as bothered as I was by those statements, do you know... I was, I was actually bothered even more by some really well-intentioned Christians who drafted a statement at another school. Now, I may seem as crazy as the guy at Liberty to you when I say that these statements bothered me more, but I'll show you that later. Here's what that statement says. We need to have Christian leaders who follow the voice of Jesus calling us to love our neighbor and pursue peace toward those hostile to us or our faith and to stand in solidarity with our Muslim brothers and sisters who share our human dignity. It went on later and said, we desire to stand in solidarity with our Muslim brothers and sisters supporting the shared principle of justice, well-being, and compassion. The reason that bothers me more than, than the gun statements is because it's taking the way God describes those who are in Christ and applying it to faithful Muslim people who have an entirely different definition of the son than Christians, who don't think he actually died on a cross. They're opposed to the fundamental truths John's trying to get us to understand here. They don't believe what we're saying, so let's respect that. Let's honor their beliefs and not just try to say, no, let's all just get along and say we're all brothers and sisters. The New Testament would never use brother and sister to speak of someone, of a believer, who is rejecting Jesus. And do you know what? I think that's unloving. I think it's unloving to talk about people who need to be warned to flee the wrath to come and find the love of God the Father in the Son if we just lump them there already. We're giving them false assurance. We're giving them false hope by including them in the family of God when they're not in yet. We need to pray that they will be. We need to love them in a way where they'll be drawn to the Savior. Not act like they're okay. Using New Testament terms that describe those who've been taken out of darkness and brought into light, who've been taken out of their orphan status and brought into adoption, who were dead and are now alive because of new life in Christ, it's profoundly unloving to give people that kind of false assurance. I know it serves an initial purpose, especially responding to something that's on the other end of the spectrum, but the answer to error is not even deeper error. And so it doesn't play well to say, you know what Jesus did when he came? He confronted us and he divided us into two kinds of humans now. Oh, there's a fundamental humanity we do recognize, we do respect, we do value. Everybody is made in God's image and equal of deserving and and deserving of dignity and value and respect, but there's a marked qualitative difference between those who are children of darkness and those who are children of God in Christ. And if we don't believe that and say that, we're pulling the plug on evangelism and missions and we ought to just save all the money we send overseas and and, and into outreach in this community and beyond. But when you read this passage and it says, no, uh, some have been brought out. Some have been brought into a whole new way of life. We're confronted by this. We realize that fatherhood is restored and and there's a way of talking. And it's so interesting, when I moved to Southern California, I never realized how different I was culturally, even in the United States, but everybody's calling me brah. When I moved here, not everybody, but like surfers. And so, hey, bra, or, or, hey brother, and, and I don't know the person. And, and I get that, and I actually appreciate the sentiment behind that. But, but is there a brotherhood we have, in the most important ways, is are we really child, all children of God, or are some actually opposed to God? who aren't blessed and benefiting from that relationship yet. If we really love people, we won't mislead them in this. And so what we find in this passage is that Jesus comes and he wants us to see the radical difference between life in Christ and life outside of Christ. And when he invades his world, well, it's his world. It belongs to him. It's all his. Uh, We went by this picture just before, but... Anybody know who the architect of this famous home is? Yes, who said that? Frank Lloyd Wright. Yes, Felipe. Frank Lloyd Wright. This is just one of his amazing homes. Uh, I've actually read quite a bit of Frank Lloyd Wright. i met a guy who Frank Lloyd Wright was his hero, and so I wanted to be able to meaningfully talk to this guy about Jesus. And so I, I read about Frank Lloyd Wright, and it was fascinating because first I asked this guy in our first conversation was, what do you want most out of life? I hope you ask meaningful questions and conversations and not just, how about those clippers? But uh, uh, I said, what do you want most out of life? And he said, meaningful relationships. It was fascinating when he told me Frank Lloyd Wright was his hero because I found out that he didn't have one. Frank Lloyd Wright didn't have one meaningful relationship in his life. He was really arrogant. His son wrote a book that convinced everybody of that. My son never does that. But... uh, he, the title of the book was My Father Who Art in Heaven. I mean, he saw himself as God. But you know, Frank Lloyd Wright, I've, I've been told most, ar- a lot of architects are arrogant. Any architects in here? <laughs> Maybe they don't think they need church. I don't know. Uh, but, uh, no, and it, for good reason. They're, they're both artistic and creative and scientific and mechanical, which is a rare combination. So they think they're all that. But, in some ways they are. But, um, but do you know Frank Lloyd Wright, when he created something, he demanded full rights over it forever. And he demanded access even into your home, if it was one of his uh, designed homes, to make sure you didn't change anything in, even in the interior. Imagine coming home if you owned a Frank Lloyd Wright home and you go to your bedroom and Frank's in bed there. <laughs> you know where he's cooking in the kitchen. Hey, Frank, what are you doing here? It's my house. You know, I made it. Well, that, that's what it's like. God invades his home. He comes home. He dwells among us. He moves in. And the awesome reality of that should lead us to saying, welcome home. It's your world, and I'm part of that world, and I'm dependent on you for everything oh, he's our creator. He's this good God who made everything and confronts us now and divides us along the lines of who Jesus is. Um, So... Seeing for who Jesus is is what it's all about. And so what's the key? How do I move in the creature double feature out of the the opposition to the creator, the ignoring of the creator, the rejecting of the creator, the loving of evil rather than good, the loving of darkness rather than light? How do I move out of this into that? Well, the first thing we need to realize is it's of God. See how that whole passage ends today. Verse 13, this is not who are born of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. That's what this new creatureliness is from. It's of God. God does this. It's his doing. See, that's why it doesn't lead to arrogance. We're children of God. You're not. No. Yeah, we're we're in the light. You're in the darkness. Never. (laughs) Never. It, It actually magnifies that it's all gift. Arrogant Christian is about the worst two words you could ever put together. Arrogant Christian, proud Christian, no wonder God opposes that. Of course he does. But when he invades his creation, well, of course he has the right to do that. He always has, but he didn't need to. He, need, he did because he wanted to show himself to us. He loved us that much, and he, he wanted to save us out of that darkness, out of that evil. He wanted to change everything. It doesn't come through religious pedigree. It's not being a child of Abraham that does it. It's having the kind of faith Abraham had. See, so how do you access this? How do you get into this treasure trove of blessings, every spiritual blessing in Christ? How do you move out of evil and darkness and death into life and light and goodness? As Spurgeon says, with the measly, rusty key of faith. Where the focus isn't on that measly, rusty key you put in that lock and open to that gold mine. The gold mine gets the attention, but the way you get in is with the rusty key that God gives you. And and it's two things. Did you notice the two ways we become children of God? And when you think about our response to God's work, how do we get this right to become children of God? That's what it says. How do we get the right? How do we get the access? How do we get the authority to be a child of God, to be in God's will, to, to be in his family? to have my future assured by his provision. How do I get that? You know, I was, believe it or not, I was in Las Vegas last night. <laughs> I'm doing some shows on the strip. No, it's um, <laughs> coming back from a really hard time I had with my family in Florida. And uh, this was not something I planned a long time ago and wanted to do, this, this was a tough thing. I was coming back and I'm in Vegas and I'm tired. And I wait in line in Southwest, and I get up there with my boarding pass, and I forgot to get in the A group because I was busy. And so I get up, and I hand it to the, the woman there, and she goes, and it doesn't go boop. It goes, eh. That's not a good sign when you're getting on a plane. Eh. Right? They're going to tase me next? What I, what's going on here? And so it went, eh. And she goes, you're going to Vegas. This is going to Providence. Oh, So I couldn't get on there if I wanted. No, no, the security guards would take you out of here. I'm so thankful they went eh to me. Because I would have gotten on the plane, went to sleep, and woken up in Providence, not Los Angeles. That would not have been good. How do you get access? I didn't have the access I needed. I didn't have the barcode, the authority, the ability to enter into that plane, going to Providence. They would have taken me to jail before I ever got on that plane. So I just went one gate over and went to L.A. How do you get access? It's receiving and believing. Did you notice those are the two things? But all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right, the access, the authority to become children of God. Do you see if we're all children of God, that makes no sense. And it's actually unneeded. That's, that, can you understand why I'm more bothered by the response to the, silly, the stupid statement than, than the statement? Because that makes no sense if we're all God's children, if we're all brothers and sisters. Where's the urgency to come to God as, as lost, wayward humans who need a father? And so we come home to him. We, we receive him. That's what he says first. That's an important word. Uh, we don't manage him. We don't uh, negotiate with him. We receive him as he is in all of who he is. We receive him as king so we submit to him as his subjects and we obey him. We receive him as savior and go nowhere else for salvation. We receive him as shepherd and look for him, to him for our comfort and our care. We receive him as our warrior who goes before us. He is everything to us. We receive him. We don't micromanage him. We don't try to uh, tailor make him to what we think he should be like. No, we receive him as he is and we believe in him. This this word, which is really the verb of faith, it's trust. And please know that faith is not what you do when there's no reason. (gasps) That's how people think of faith now. The Bible knows nothing of that. It's not what you have once your reason runs out. It's, no, it's a trust. It's a dependence. It's a putting all your weight on. It's a a surrendering all your efforts, but in trusting God's efforts in Christ, it's faith, it's trust. And I think one of the hardest things about this, and I so urgently want you to hear this, is that seems too easy. That seems too simplistic. You mean I just believe? I just trust? I just depend on? Well, two things. It's not easy. It takes a work of God, it takes a miracle for me to go from a self-reliant, self-centered, proud, sinful, evil, darkness-loving person. It's not easy in that sense. It's a a gift of God. And it's wonderfully life-changing. Faith leads to a whole different way of living. You receive him, so he's got claim to everything. Your money, your sexuality, your relationships, Your failures, your successes, your home, your marriage, your kids, your job, your future, whether you live beyond today, He holds your life in His hands. And so you receive Him as He is and you believe in Him, you trust in Him. That's really the point of the whole book the Bible and the book of John. That's what he says in 30, right? These things are written so that you will believe Christ is the son of God and in that find sonship in him. That's what he says in his epistle later in 1 John 5. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God and everyone who loves the father loves whoever has been born of him. Do you see how clearly Jesus puts it? Look what he says. He says, he says to religious leaders, religious people, I ah, go back that one, help me out here. I'm just He goes back and he says, God's not your father or else you would have loved me. That's what he says to the religious leaders of the time. Actually, he says, Satan's your father. know how that went over. God's not your father because you don't love me. The way you have a father who will care for you the way fathers should care for their children is by loving me because there's no way to the father apart from me. The last one. No, no, never mind. It's okay. Um, They'll take my way. Oh, there it is. If God were your father, you would love me. That's the way we know we're part of the children of God. And so, please know, receiving and believing is, is what it takes. And you know, There are three dispositions this morning. I know we're sitting here. One, you have never believed and received Jesus. And you know it. And maybe you're fine with that, but maybe this morning you're starting to wonder if you should be. Please don't leave here today without talking to me or Walt or one of our leaders or maybe the person who brought you and say, what does it mean to have faith? Explain this to me. What does this look like? to turn from sin and self to Christ and his sufficiency alone in faith. What does that look like? Maybe this morning you have thought you're a true believer and receiver, but you're realizing now it's been a religious sham and I need to make it real. Please don't believe here without praying with someone about this, asking questions about this. The other disposition I know of which I am a part and everybody else, not in those first two is a part, is you know you're a believer and you're confident of that. You know you've received Jesus, but you realize so many areas of your life where you're withholding receiving and believing. We all need this message this morning. Please don't leave without receiving it and believing it. And that means receiving and believing Jesus who's the creator and revealer and savior. Father, help us. We so often think our greatest needs are more money or better health or peaceful relationships or our degree in hand or less marital strife. Lord, our greatest need is you. Thank you for the way you use struggles and all those and countless other ways to point us to that reality. Thank you that you love us too much to a set up shop here like this is all there is. Lord, help us to be women and men who receive and believe Jesus in new and deeper ways today and every day. We pray in His name. Amen.